home to stories that haunt. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence or explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Before we get started, I wanted to add a quick trigger warning for sexual assault. We don't go into any detail at all, and it doesn't go well for the perpetrator, but please be advised. I watched as Stan rejected Betty's advances. How could someone, even a man who looked like Stan, say such cruel things to someone as radiant as Betty? She was absolute perfection with silken blonde hair that fell in loose waves around her face. A flawless figure, delicate features, and ice-blue eyes. God, Betty, you're like a goat, he'd said. And I watched her face fall, devastated by his cruelty. He laughed in her face as she spun on her heels and disappeared into the funhouse to nurse her humiliation. I glanced at the dark mask and helmet that Stan had placed on the railing behind him and employed my advanced intelligence to quickly formulate my plan. Stan and I were both wearing black capes with red trim, and with my face and hair covered, she'd never know it was me. I swiped the mask and helmet from the spot where Stan had abandoned them and set off to claim my prize. I used the distorted mirror at the entrance of the funhouse to check my costume one final time. Once I was confident my true identity was completely concealed, I followed her through the door I'd watched her enter just moments before. She was studying herself in one of the mirrors inside, and my heart sank to see her in so much pain. She looked so innocent and vulnerable holding her cowgirl hat and contemplating the flaws in her face that would have caused Stan to reject her. There's nothing wrong with you, I wanted to scream. You're a goddess, my muse, the most perfect thing I've ever seen. But I remained silent to maintain my cover. As I pulled back the heavy curtains, the exterior light illuminated my silhouette behind her, and she brightened and called out his name, delighted to see the man she thought I was. I allowed the curtains to fall behind me, and we were engulfed in the disorienting shimmer of the rainbow-colored lights and tinsel that lined the walls of the room. She spun around and took three confident steps toward me. I held my breath as we stood face to face in heavy silence for a moment and my heart soared as she showed no signs of recognizing me, the imposter behind the mask. You've changed your mind. Her voice was low and grateful as she reached out her hand for me to take. I'm glad. Come on. She pulled me through a doorway with a glowing red sign above it that read, The Atomizer. A hidden sensor triggered streams of cool mist from in between the colored panels, and I couldn't tell if the goose flesh that rose on my arms was from the blast of cold vapor or the look of desire in Betty's eyes as she led me further into the carnival funhouse. Her face was framed by the small openings in the mask, and she giggled as she led me to a door labeled Moon Room. She laid her palm against it, turned back to me, and asked in a voice just above a whisper, You want to do it on the moon? I nodded slowly, and my pulse quickened as I followed her through the doorway and took several steps closer to making her mine. 
I knew I had to play cool. If I could remain calm and in control, I could finally have her. I would be exposed to her very essence, and I could finally and fully know the dazzling Betty. The moon room was dimly lit, and the walls had been covered in black light murals depicting a moonscape in the galaxy beyond. Tiny glowing aliens peered from behind boulders, the only witnesses to the impending marriage of mine and Betty's souls. The entire floor was water-filled compartments that simulated the weightlessness of stepping onto the moon. My head and heart were so light with the anticipation of joining with Betty that I already felt as if I might float away. So the sensation of sinking into the ground while also floating above my body was a level of euphoria I'd never experienced. My conscious mind drifted up and out, and what remained was the most primal and elemental parts of me. I was pure electricity and sensation as we sank to our knees, and Betty invited me on top of her. Take off your mask, she commanded and reached to remove it herself, but I shook my head no, as calmly and confidently as I could, and placed her hands back on the ground beside her head. Oh, Stan, you're so kinky, were the final words she spoke before she surrendered herself to me and I was suddenly free to explore every single inch of the breathtaking Betty. Our merging was as transformational as the death of a star. My outer being could no longer contain the core of me, and I contracted until I was 20 times the sun's mass, expanding out and out and beyond until I collapsed into singularity, simultaneously nothing and everything enraptured by the goddess Betty. Oh, Stan, she purred. That was wonderful. You did things to me you've never done before. My pace quickened again as the time had come to reveal my true identity to the love of my life, and there were only seconds to spare. If she was going to love me despite my repulsive appearance, my only chance was to expose myself while she was still in the throes of our combined ecstasy. Could she love me despite my protruding teeth, prominent nose, and drab hair that lay limp across my forehead in comparison to Stan's chiseled face and luminous locks that remained perfectly feathered and tussled, regardless of the conditions? Would the squawk of my voice cover her chest with the same flush as Stan's booming baritone? Could my cunning and intellect seduce her in the same ways that Stan's physical prowess had? With shaking hands, I removed the thick plastic mask and unveiled the horrors beneath. I called upon my confidence that had gotten me so much closer to achieving my goal, and crawled up and over Betty's body, rocking gently on the wavy ground below us until my crow-like face was parallel to hers. She opened her eyes as she felt the pressure of my body above her, and gasped as she registered my betrayal. You're that nerd! She called out, and I laid my hands on each side of her chest to steady her. Yeah, I admitted lovingly, and laid my hand against her heart to remind her of the bond we now shared. There were a handful of blissful seconds where our eyes met, and I was free to fall into the boundless, shimmering blue, and I found her there, wanting and waiting for a man like me. A man who saw her, and knew her in ways that a man like Stan never could. Surrounded by the swirling of a love as infinite and true as mine, we were bound for eternity and buoyed by the truths we shared. As the vortex of our mutual longing intensified, a great howling resonated from all sides and threatened to consume my senses, but I was peaceful in knowing that I would be one with Betty, 
In that place of perfect union, my senses were unnecessary, as were all of my worldly possessions. The howling grew and grew, and as it swelled, it took on a physical mass that propelled me up and out of the vortex and back into the moon room where Betty wailed below me. I know, Betty, I know. I cried out as grateful tears fell freely from my eyes and formed resplendent pools in the crevices of her perfect face. Thank you, Betty. Thank you for allowing me to show you what it feels like to be seen and loved and worshipped the way you deserve. You are my goddess, Betty, my muse, and to see you come to life and bask in my devotion, well, it's taken my breath away. Betty remained silent for several beats as she gazed back from a place of pure surrender. She sucked in a long, slow breath and held it behind her fragile ribcage for a few more seconds as she contemplated her new reality. She exhaled even more deliberately than she inhaled, and the warm breath cascaded across the peaks and valleys of my welcoming face. You are so low, so sad and insignificant. You couldn't begin to perceive me if you studied me for a hundred, thousand, million years. Even if some merciful deity allowed you to spend a millennia in my presence, investigating and memorizing every single detail available, you couldn't even scratch the surface of my magnificence. But, buddy, I don't think you understand. I'm telling you, I love you. I love you more than anything in this whole world. She clearly misunderstood what I was saying, but I could be patient. After years of Stan's abuse, my adoration must have felt insincere, threatening even, and I would nurse Betty's soul and ego to health until she could finally see all that I saw in her. Betty's head sunk into the soft floor behind her as she threw it back and laughed, uproariously. Then it snapped back to face me, and her blue eyes were rimmed in a flaming red. Her voice was a low, loathsome snarl as she continued. Oh, I understand perfectly, she purred. I understand that you are so disillusioned by the systems that were set up to embolden even the most feeble and impotent of men, that you think you can access or somehow possess even a fraction of me, and that notion is absurd to the point of being sinister. My heart sank and I could feel the contents of my stomach turn as my beautiful Betty transformed into an angry, ugly version of herself that I didn't recognize, and I was desperate to have my angel back. I pressed my now clammy hands against the sides of her head and stroked her hair back to soothe her as I whispered, Shh, sweet girl, this isn't you. You aren't foul and vicious. You are soft perfection, as sweet as a sun-ripened peach and as loving as a thousand mothers. I desperately searched her eyes for some sign of softness to return, but they simultaneously became colder and burned brighter, and I almost gagged as I watched my beloved disappear before my eyes. I am not yours, you filthy insignificant morsel of mass masquerading as the miracle that is a human being. You are so inconsequential, your impending passing won't even cause a ripple in the calm air around us because not even the most impassive particles can be bothered to be moved by you. 
You are a passing of gas, irrelevant vapor reabsorbed by the gray matter, so pointless we can't even perceive it as it's surrounding us. We are untouchable, impenetrable, unobtainable, especially by the likes of you. We? I ask weakly. I'm trembling, completely disarmed, and quite frankly devastated by the untruths streaming from Betty's rosebud of a mouth. The sisterhood, dipshit. My sorority. My spirits lifted just slightly at the mention of her sorority, and I took the opportunity to remind her of our common ground. I'm in a fraternity, I cried out and studied her face for a sign that I could win her back with my credentials. She threw back her head again and laughed one loud, sharp <laughs> laugh that landed an additional blow to my heart. <laughs> Fraternities. Her voice was thick with disgust. Men had proper fraternities once, and their power even rivaled ours. Despite our clear advantage in having the ability to create and sustain life, and they knew how to keep their ranks closed tight to guard our truths. But the male ego proved too destructive, and so fraternities were cast out of the sacred order well before the fall of the Roman Empire. We kept the structure, of course, and we allowed public perception to evolve so that those outside of the secret circle think that modern fraternities and sororities are the same systems for networking and socialization. But it's just another trick so that you think you're in control. It's a ruse to protect the true power and divine energy that you would reduce to a parlor trick if left to your own devices. Betty's face grew wistful. She seemed far away in some untouchable place and was suddenly more radiant than I'd ever seen her. A few fraternities still exist that more closely resemble the original brotherhood. But most have distorted into sad excuses to get wasted and abuse other people's bodies. But even those few remaining clubs are terrible at keeping their secrets. I mean, who isn't aware of the Freemasons and that goofy owl club at this point? Her voice had risen in frustration as she shared the history of fraternal organizations, and she sighed deeply and collected herself before continuing. But women... Women know how to preserve what's sacred, and we've sacrificed ourselves for centuries to do so. But we've recently agreed that enough is enough, and it's time to unleash. Unleash? My voice was tinged with fear and confusion, and I shifted awkwardly to try to regain some semblance of control. Hasn't it ever crossed your mind to wonder why men aren't allowed upstairs at sorority houses? We came up with the concepts of purity and chastity. Did you know that? I opened, then closed my mouth, completely lost and at a loss. Of course you didn't. No one does. But it's the only thing that gives us the slightest protection from your childish, self-serving impulses. The idea that we must remain chaste has provided us the only opportunities we have to gather and worship and plan. She smiled widely and pulled my face so close. I could feel her breath again as she continued. And your timing is poor, you stupid boy. Because the universal order just voted, and we all, every single last one of us, agreed unanimously that your time is up. 
She pronounced the P at the end of the word with so much vitriol, it echoed off the walls and the gently rocking floor, and landed with so much force, it made me jump. A half a second later, I realized it wasn't the impact of the word that had made me jump. It was the physical sensation of hands wrapping around my calf, and they clamped down like a vice as I attempted to twist free. Three more sets of hands secured my arms and other leg as I thrashed above Betty, who seemed more serene and in control than anyone I'd ever encountered. I recognized two of the people who were holding my limbs as Betty's sisters from the Pie House, and the other two from the Omega Muse. I tried to retreat into the memory of when three of the women who were restraining me and the rest of the Pie Sisters had gathered to serenade my fraternity just days before. They were heavenly creatures gathered on the lawn in front of our house as they sang. fear was too great, though, and it forced me to remain in the room and fully aware of my impending demise. Betty, I begged weakly and pleaded with my eyes for mercy. Please, Betty, I love you. You know nothing about love. You know nothing about creation or truth or honesty or vulnerability or reverence. You don't have the slightest concept of what a gift it is to live and experience other life in human form. You only covet and consume and destroy. There is an impermanence to all things, even those under the illusion of authority. And it is time for you to end. I was awash in indescribable agony as the women pulled my limbs to the four corners of the moon room until my tendons and bones and flesh gave way and they were severed from my torso. Betty's face was rapturous as my blood rained down, concealing all but her crystalline eyes, and they communicated her absolute glee as my limbless body hovered over hers for a half of a second, suspended by the force of my dismemberment. Goodbye, Lois. She whispered as gravity took hold, and my trunk tumbled toward her. My name, I thought as my time on Earth concluded. She knows my name. by Kieran Regan. For more stories that haunt as well as a behind the scenes look at what we do and why we do it, 
You can join our Patreon at Patreon slash Please Leave Pod. You can follow Please Leave on Facebook and Instagram at Please Leave Pod. Our email is pleaseleavepod at gmail.com. And our website is pleaseleavepod.com. This has been a Please Leave Media production.